Thanks, Minoka. Uh, well, it's good to be back preaching uh, again. As some of you know, um, I was able to take a, a few weeks off of preaching here in, uh, in July, and that allowed my family to get a vacation in, which was much uh, appreciated, and also helped me to uh, focus uh, attention, a little extra attention on some other areas in the life of our church, which was also much appreciated, but uh, good to be back to preaching. And we've got a good passage here to explore, but I want to start with a little story. Uh, so a few weeks ago, sitting at home, sitting in my living room, and all of a sudden I start to, to get a little warm, and I didn't think much of it at first because it was mid-July, and it was like blazing hot outside, and I figured the AC will kick on and take care of this. Uh, but then some time goes by, and I start getting warmer and warmer, and then I start to sweat a little bit. You ever had that where you're sitting on your couch and your shirt starts to stick to you? It's uncomfortable, so I'm like, okay, this, this cannot continue. So I go over to check the thermostat, and sure enough, the, the temperature is ticking up and up and up, and I go to a vent, and I feel the, the fan is blowing air, but it's not actually cold. And so what did I do? I did what any of you would do. I got on the phone, called the AC repair guy, and the phone rang and it rang, and he didn't pick up, so I left him a message. I'm like, hey, I think your AC is out. Please get over here as soon as possible. This is deeply uncomfortable. It's mid-July. And uh, then I waited a couple of minutes, and he didn't call me back, so I called him again. It was like ring, ring, ring. He still didn't pick up. Waited a couple more minutes, called him back again, and I wasn't trying to be rude or blow up the guy's phone, but it was so hot in our house. It was very, very uncomfortable. Finally, he did call me back, and I think he kind of took his time. But he, he eventually came over and fixed our AC. Everything's good now. But the reason I share that story is because it illustrates something I want to get us thinking about together this morning. And that is that we human beings, we hate being uncomfortable, and we love being comfortable. So, so much so that Consciously and often unconsciously, we do things all the time to try to make ourselves more comfortable. I'll give you a few examples from my own life, and maybe some of you can resonate with this. I was thinking about this week. Uh, when I go to take a shower, I turn on the water, and I don't immediately hop in, in, into the shower. I wait for a minute, right? Because when that water first comes out, it's cold, and that's uncomfortable, so I'll wait for it to warm up, and then I get in. Or, um, you know, recently we had to buy new sheets for our bed, and I've learned the hard way, you got to pay attention to the thread count, right? Like, you can save some money if you go with low thread count, but it's, it's not nearly as comfortable if you do it that way. Or uh, here's another example. Sometimes um, when I go to a conference or I walk into a big room full of mostly people that I don't know, I'm an introvert. And so most of the time, I don't immediately start introducing myself to strangers and, and making new friends. Usually, I scan the room, and I try to find somebody I know, or at least somebody I kind of know, and I sort of desperately latch on to that person. It just it feels more comfortable that way. Or when I go to buy new clothes, uh, one of my criteria these days is whether it's shirts or pants, like it's got to have some stretch to it. I don't know if any of you guys are, are like this. Why? Because stretchy clothes are so much more comfortable. Why did we ever wear clothes that weren't stretchy? I, I, do not, I do not know. Or at the end of the day, when I'm ready to unwind, when I'm ready to relax, usually I don't go and sit at our kitchen table on the hard wooden chairs that we have there. Usually I go to the den and I kick back on the recliner because it's so much more soft and so much more comfortable. And most of these things I don't even consciously think about, but we all do these things to, to make ourselves more comfortable. You guys, actually, I don't know if you realize this, but you prove this to me every single Sunday when you show up here. Uh, I'll give you a couple of examples. 
there are almost 200 different seats in this room. Did you know that? And yet what I've noticed about a lot of you is that you go and sit in the exact same seat every single time. Why is that? Because it's familiar, and familiar is more comfortable, right? Uh, how come in the history of Kindred Church, which admittedly is not a long history, but in the history of Kindred Church, I'm pretty sure no one has ever sat in these front two rows. Why is that? Because it's too close. That would be uncomfortable. Why is it that almost every single Sunday we have more people sitting on this side of the room than this side of the room? You ever notice that? It's because you come in on this side, and I know some of you, this is the shy side of the room. You guys are sometimes uncomfortable walking down here in front of everybody, so you just dart to the closest seat that you can. That's understandable. That's what I would do. We, we do things all the time to make ourselves more comfortable. We're actually biologically wired to do this. We don't have time today to get into all the science on that, but also our culture. We live in a culture that teaches us that our highest priority in life is to make ourselves as physically comfortable as we can, as emotionally comfortable, as financially comfortable as we can. And I think as people of faith, sometimes we kind of pull God into this comfortable project, right? Like how many of our prayers, if we're honest, are some version of God, help me with this. God, resolve that tension in my life. God, help me with this situation so that I can get back to being comfortable. Well, um, today, this is going to be challenging. It's going to be a challenging message because what I want us to see is that as Christians, we believe that God has actually called us to something more than a life of comfort. God has a higher purpose for us. And if we can let go of our vice grip on what's comfortable, that actually frees us to embrace the kind of life that God has called us into. And that's a life that's actually much better it's a life that's much more meaningful and significant, and it's definitely a life that's much more interesting than just obsessing over what's comfortable. Uh, this is a principle that we see all over Scripture, and so there's a lot of different passages and stories that we could have looked at today, but I want us to focus in on this Old Testament story of Esther, because I think this illustrates it really, really well. Uh, before we get into the Scripture and, and explore that, would you pray with me for just a moment? God, we thank you for this scripture, and we ask you, God, to come by your spirit and open up our hearts now as we explore it. God, help us to hear the, the words of love and affirmation that you have for us today. But God, we pray that you would also open us to the ways that you're pushing us and challenging us to change and to think different and to live different and to be different, not just for our own sakes, God, but for the sake of this world that you've called us to transform. So we pray all of this in the name of your Son, who is the living word. Amen. Uh, if you were with us last week, Minoka did an awesome job kicking off this little two-part seri uh, two series on the book of Esther. So some of this may be a little bit of review, um, but here's kind of the background on Esther in a nutshell. This story takes place about 500 years before Jesus, and it takes place in the kingdom, the empire of Persia. That's um, modern-day Iran and, and the surrounding area. At the time, Persia was one of the largest empires in the entire world, certainly the most powerful empire in the, the Middle East. Uh, this is actually why I picked this picture for our backdrop, if any of you were wondering. Uh, this photograph was taken at an ancient ruin in Iran, so an ancient Persian ruin, and it's just kind of a cool picture. I liked it. 
Um, and at the time, 500 years before Jesus, uh, the king of Persia was this guy named Ahasuerus. Ahusuerus, I don't know how you pronounce it. I must have been out that day in seminary. Um, he's actually better known by his other name, which is Xerxes. And that's a lot more fun to say. So for our purposes, I'm just going to call him Xerxes today. If you've ever seen the movie 300, came out like 2007, Gerard Butler. Some of you may remember that movie. Uh, there's a, a character in the movie named Xerxes, and that's actually loosely based on this historical figure. Same, same guy. Well, when we meet King Xerxes at the beginning of Esther, now he has just gotten himself a new wife because he had some beef with his old wife and things were not going well, so he kind of got rid of her. And then he did this kingdom-wide search. There was essentially like this massive beauty pageant and the king picked the most beautiful woman in all the kingdom. She was not royalty pr prior to this, but she was the, the most beautiful. She was the winner of the contest, and her name was Esther. And there's something important we need to know about Esther right off the bat. That is that she is Jewish, not Persian. Uh, she's Jewish. Her whole family is Jewish. But King Xerxes, when he marries her, he doesn't know that she's Jewish. I think he assumes because she lives in Persia, she's Persian. And Esther doesn't tell him. This is a secret. I think Esther's probably afraid of what would happen to her if the king finds out she's actually a minority. So that'll become important here in a minute. But what I want us to see is that when Esther becomes queen, she kind of overnight steps into this life of extreme luxury. Uh, some scholars have pointed out that we don't know how she was feeling inwardly about becoming queen, and some feminist scholars in particular have pointed out the actual process of becoming queen may well have been very traumatic for Esther, uh, and I don't want to diminish that in any way. That's an important point, but outwardly, certainly materially, Esther, when she becomes queen, she's probably the most comfortable person in the entire world because when she becomes queen, suddenly she gets to eat all the finest foods in the whole kingdom, and she gets to wear the finest clothes in all the kingdom. She's the best dressed. She gets this army of servants, and their only job full-time is to wait on her hand and foot to take care of her every need. I don't know what your thread count is, but Esther's is higher, I promise you. I don't know how comfortable your recliner is. Esther's is more comfortable, I guarantee you. And on top of that, we're told that King Xerxes really does care about Esther. And he really does treat her well, at least within the customs of the time. We would have issues, rightly, today with the way that women were treated in this culture. But within the customs of the time, certainly she was treated quite well. So uh, all of this means if Esther just kind of keeps her head down, if she does what she's expected to do as the queen, then she can probably live out the rest of her days as the most comfortable person in the entire world. So far, so good for Queen Esther. But unfortunately, it doesn't stay good for very long because pretty soon something really terrible happens. Uh, it turns out King Xerxes has this advisor named Haman. And when I say Haman, we should all say boo. So let's just try this so I know you're awake. Haman. Yeah, one more time. Haman. Yeah, why is Haman such a bad guy? Well, it turns out Haman is deeply anti-Semitic. He hates, hates, hates the Jewish people. And at this time in history, you had communities of Jewish people living all around the Persian Empire. And there was a lot of resentment and discrimination because the Jewish people did not fit in 
in Persian society. They didn't worship the Persian gods. They refused to. They didn't celebrate the Persian holidays. They had their own laws. They had their own customs, their own ways of doing things. They were the target of a lot of discrimination. And so people like Haman resented them. And Haman resented them so much so that he goes to King Xerxes. And he says, oh, king, I have an idea. Here's what I think you should do. I think you should issue an edict. You should issue a decree that all Jewish people in this kingdom should be put to death. So we're talking about genocide, essentially. And for whatever reason, King Xerxes just nods his head and and he goes along with this plan. Well, it didn't take long before Queen Esther heard about this plan that was brewing. And she's horrified, right? Because remember, she herself is Jewish. The king doesn't know it yet, but she's Jewish. Her whole family's Jewish. So she's horrified. And now she's got this awful dilemma on her hands. What is she going to do? Because on the one hand, she could try to go confront her husband, the king, and she could reveal her true identity, and she could beg him to call off this genocide. But if she does that, she's going to be taking an extreme risk. She's likely going to die for a couple of reasons. Number one, queens in this time were expected to keep their nose out of government business. They were certainly not to confront their husbands about these kinds of things. So that was risky. And furthermore, if she reveals that she is a Jew, then she's at very real risk of being executed along with all of the other uh, of her people in the kingdom, right? So that's one option. On the other hand, she could stay quiet, she could keep her identity a secret, and she could live out the rest of her days as the most comfortable person in the entire world. But if she does that, she's going to have to live with the knowledge that her people are out there being killed. It's awful. So what is she going to do? That's like the burning question at the heart of this story. What is Esther going to do? Well, we come to discover that she is a woman of deep, deep faith. And so what she does first is she takes some time to go to God. She spends some time in prayer, and she's fasting, and she's praying, and she's fasting. And as she does that, God's will for her becomes clear. And she discerns that even though she has entered this life of extreme comfort, nevertheless, God didn't call her to be comfortable. God is calling her to to step out to step up, to take a risk, and to try to intercede for her people. I want us to pause here so we can underline this point. When Esther prays and she discerns God's call and God's will for her, she discovers that even though she is in a place of comfort, God didn't call her to be comfortable, but God is calling her to be bold. God is calling her to be bold, to be bold, to be bold. So what does that look like for Esther? Well, that brings us to this passage that Manuka read for us earlier from Esther 7. We see Esther muster up all the courage that she can. She she gathers up all the the boldness that she can. And we can imagine her, poor thing, probably trembling, right? And she finally goes to King Xerxes and she reveals her true identity and then she falls at his feet and she beg, beg, begs him to save her and to call off the genocide of her people. And then we can imagine she waits Right? And she's, she's probably still shaking. She's probably holding her breath, wondering, uh, is this the moment that I'm going to die? What's going to happen to me? Fortunately, she doesn't have to wait long because King Xerxes gives her her answer. And miraculously, in this moment, he's moved by Esther's plea. He has compassion for her. He sees how horrific this plan really is, and he calls off the genocide. Esther is able to save 
her people. This is a really big deal. This is such a big deal. Some of you know this. Jewish people to this day, still every single year, they celebrate this holiday called Purim. And the whole holiday is just a celebration of Esther and her boldness in the way that she was able to save her people. Now, what in the world does any of this have to do with you and with me? What's the takeaway for us here? Well, again, as human beings, we gravitate to what is comfortable, right? And we have this consumer culture that tells us, yeah, that's your purpose. Get as comfortable in every way as you possibly can. But, but Esther shows us, no, 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 no. As the people of God, we have a higher calling. We have a higher purpose. It's not about just being as comfortable as we can. God calls us to step up and be bold. God calls us to be bold. And this is not just a a little story in the Old Testament that's, that's isolated. We actually see this in the New Testament as well, and this is something that Jesus emphasizes to us over and over and over again. I want to show you for a minute what I'm talking about here. Do you remember when Jesus called his very first disciples? They were fishermen. Let's see if this technology works. There we go. Jesus calls the first four disciples who are fishermen, and he goes to them, and what does he say? He says, come and follow me. Come and leave your nets, leave your job, leave your home, leave everything that's familiar and comfortable and do something bold. Leave it all behind and come and follow me. A little later, Jesus is with the disciples and uh, he leads them on this little retreat. They go up uh, into the mountains, you know, similar to how we go on mountain vacations, mountain retreats today. They went up in the mountains, and while they had this private time together, Jesus gathers them around, and he leans in, and he tells them something really, really important. Listen to what he says to them in this moment. He says, all who want to come after me must say no to themselves, that is, deny themselves. They must take up their cross, and they must follow me. And then he goes on, and he says, all who want to save their lives will lose them, but all who lose their lives because of me will find them. There's a lot packed in there, but part of what Jesus is saying to the disciples is, hey, guys, I want to be, be up front. I want to be clear with you that what I'm leading you into is not a life of extreme comfort. That's not what this is about. There is nothing comfortable about a cross. Jesus is saying, I'm calling you to be bold. I'm calling you to be bold. Now, the disciples were just like us. They're regular human beings, and so they gravitate to what's comfortable. And this message was hard for them to hear. It was hard for them to understand it. It took a long time, but eventually something clicked, and the disciples got it. We, we get this story uh, that comes a couple of months after Jesus's resurrection. And at that point, Jesus had died, Jesus rose again, Jesus ascended into heaven, and now these disciples were in charge of leading this movement called the church, and they were having to figure it out. And one of the first things they did, they were in the city of Jerusalem, and they just started spreading the good news of Jesus to as many people as they could. And the local authorities in Jerusalem were uh, threatened by this, and they wanted to nip the church in the bud. And so they singled out a couple of the leaders. They singled out Peter and they singled out John. These were two of the fishermen that Jesus had called earlier. And they arrested them, threw them in jail, subjected them to physical torture, psychological abuse. They stood them up on trial, humiliated them in front of the entire city. And then finally, they released Peter and John. And Peter and John are, are traumatized, they're worn out from this whole experience, they stumble their way home, they get inside, they fall down, and they begin to pray. And what do you think they prayed 
in that moment. I know what I would have prayed. I would have said, Lord, that was probably the most uncomfortable thing that I've ever been through. Please don't let anything like that ever happen to me ever again. But that's not what they prayed in this moment. Check this out. They say this, Lord, enable us to speak your word with great, what? Great boldness. Great boldness. You see, they had learned by this point, God doesn't call us to be comfortable. God calls us to be bold. And why is that? Why is that? Is it because God is a big meanie? Is it because God doesn't want us to be happy in this life? No, that's not it at all. It's because this world is full of evil. It is. We see it every day, right? It's heartbreaking. This world is full of sin. We see it in other people. If we're honest, we know it's in our own hearts as well. This world is full of injustice and suffering and death. And you know what? God calls us to not just take that lying down. God calls us to take a stand and to join with God in resisting all of those dark forces in this world. And that resistance is just not comfortable. It requires us to be bold. I think about the the early Christians who worked so hard to establish this this new thing, this new institution called hospitals, to to care for people that nobody else in society cared about. I think about those Christians who worked so hard to invent this new thing that had never before existed in the history of humanity called homeless shelters, to care for people that nobody else in society cared about. These Christians who invented orphanages to care for children that nobody else cared about. Was any of that work comfortable? No, but those Christians knew God is not calling us to be comfortable. God's calling us to be bold. Or more recently in history, I think about the Christians who so faithfully worked to abolish slavery. I think about those faithful Christians in our own society who worked to to lead the, the civil rights movements. Was any of that work comfortable? No, not at all, but they knew. God's not calling us to be comfortable. God is calling us to be bold. We all, we gravitate to what's comfortable, and that's understandable. It's how we're wired. It's what our culture tells us to do. But as the people of God, we know we, we have a higher calling. We have a more important purpose. God's calling us to be bold. So here's a question for you to think about. What does this mean for you right now in this season? I wonder, how do you feel God is calling you to step outside of your comfort zone and to do something bold. There are there already may be something on your heart, and I hope that there is, but let me just give you a few quick ideas. It could be something at work. You know, is there something in your work culture? Is there a policy at your company that you can see is, is doing harm, that's hurting your coworkers? And the easy thing and the comfortable thing would just be to keep your mouth shut. Maybe your career path is gonna unfold much more smoothly if you just keep your head down. But maybe you know it's not right. Maybe God is calling you to step up and do something bold. Maybe it's financial for some of us. You know, this this whole idea of trusting God with our finances, of, of inviting God into our financial lives, maybe for some of us that feels deeply uncomfortable. I mean, like, how much is God calling me to give away? And if I give away as much as God is calling me to give away, will I get what I want? Will I get what I need? Will I have enough? And plus, like, isn't it my money? Didn't I work so hard for it? It can be so uncomfortable. And yet what we know is Jesus calls us into a life of, of radical generosity, countercultural 
generosity. And so maybe it's time for, for some of us to, to embrace that and, and to step up and to do something bold. Uh, or maybe it has something to do with church. Maybe for some of us, the bold thing is to, to actually reach out and, and invite somebody to church. And why don't more of us invite more people to church? It's not because we don't know people who don't have a church, right? It's not because we don't know anybody who could use the inclusive love of Jesus in their life. It's because inviting somebody to church is uncomfortable. It can be awkward. You know, what if they say no? What if they think I'm weird? What if they think I'm a Southern Baptist, for goodness sakes, right? We don't want to be misunderstood. I'm just teasing our Southern Baptist friends. It's just a joke. Um, Y'all are kind of tense today. Uh, But you see, the thing is, Jesus has called Kindred Church into existence, right? And, And I believe, and I hope you believe, that Jesus has called each and every one of you here to help spread the inclusive love of Jesus through this community because we have so many people in this surrounding area who need to know it, who need to feel it, who need to hear about it just like we do. And see, the thing is, we can't do that work that we're called to do if we don't actually invite people to come and and check out this community and see if they want to be a part of it. So again, maybe the bold thing for some of us is to to think about it and to take that step, reach out and invite somebody to church. That last example I'll, I'll give you, and if I haven't offended you yet, this may step on your toes, apologies, but maybe for some of you, it's, it's time to join a Sunday morning volunteer team for us, right? And if you're not already serving on a volunteer team, I just ask you to think about gently, is that because doing so just feels uncomfortable? Have to come an hour early, have to stay a little bit late on those Sundays when you serve, have to talk to some people that you don't know yet. Uh, I get it. What, what if you don't like the experience? What if it just doesn't feel right? I, I get it. Those are all legitimate questions. But maybe it's time to do something bold. You know, Kindred Church is not going to have a future. We're not going to survive. The mission of this church is not going to be able to continue if we don't keep getting more people who come and connect and are willing to contribute and, and, and to serve. That's just a reality. So God is calling us to, to do something bold. Again, I hope that God is putting something on your heart, but my challenge for you is sometime this week, don't put this off because you'll forget about it. I'll forget about it. Sometime this week, step out of your comfort zone and do something bold. Do something bold because when you do, you're going to be following in the footsteps of Esther. You're going to be following in the footsteps of Jesus. You're going to be following in the footsteps of literally every faithful Christian who has ever lived, who has made a meaningful difference in this world. And it's risky and it's scary. It's countercultural. Nobody else out there is thinking this way or, or doing these things. It's different. But this is how we answer God's call on our lives. This is how we find the life that Jesus wants to lead us into. So remember, at the end of the day, God doesn't call us to be comfortable, but God calls us to be bold, to be bold, to be bold. Let me pray for us. Well, Lord, this is a a tough message for us to hear, God. It it cuts against our nature. Uh, It cuts against the way that our society trains us to to think, Lord. It pulls us beyond ourselves. It pulls us to see a bigger picture. It forces us into a kingdom mindset, God. And so we ask for your help internalizing this message, God. Help us to know for each and every one of us, But what is the way right now that you're calling us to step out of our comfort zone? What what is that bold thing that you're calling each of us to do? Because we know that if we answer that, God, if 
we do what you're calling us to do and all of us do it, that the impact for your kingdom is going to be unimaginable. And the impact on our hearts is going to be unimaginable as well. So God, even though this is a tough message, we thank you for it. We thank you that you give it to us in love. And we thank you that through all of our ups and downs, through all of our successes and failures, you remain our God. You remain present with us and your love for us remains steadfast. We pray all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen. During the Song of Reflection, we invite you to contemplate Daniel's wonderful sermon or to pray or to sing along. Completely up to you. Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I was lost, but he brought me in. Oh, his love for me. Oh, his love for me. Who the sun sets free.